Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I am your host, Anthony Corona, and I am here with another fabulous show, along with my executive producer, partner in crime, friend, and oh, God, so many other adjectives. Bryn, welcome back to Sunday Edition. I hear that you're feeling a little bit better this week. I am. Yeah, I had a little bit of a frog in my throat a couple of weeks ago, and uh suffered for a couple of weeks, but I am starting to feel better. And thankfully it was not COVID. Um, so I should be getting back to work now Monday, which is great because I'm very stir crazy. I, I'm bored. I want to get out. I want to do things. I want to see people. So uh, come Monday, I'll be doing that. And I'm really excited. And you guys are having the perfect weather up there for going back to work, huh? We are, yeah. So, well, uh, yesterday and today we kind of got the rain and, and the showers and stuff, a little bit of winter advisory weather, but we were up in the 80s earlier this week and it should be getting back up to that. So spring has sprung, um, still a little bit erratic. Um, <laughs> I just hope that we don't get any, like, you know, early May snow, knock on wood. But, um, you know, hopefully we shouldn't. <sighs> So manning the hands behind the scenes is Sheila Young. Welcome back to Sunday Edition. Thank you so much for being here with us. Herbie is connecting us to Clubhouse. And I believe Belinda is the Clubhouse moderator, or maybe I have that backwards. But um, you guys in Clubhouse, if you would like to join the conversation, you know what to do. And Herbie will let us know. Um, I have two announcements this week before we get into the first hour's conversation. And the first is a reminder for listeners out there who enjoy Sunday Edition or the various other shows on ACB Media like Visibilities or Tuesday Topics. If you catch something and you need more information and you don't know how to reach us as show facilitators, you can always go to ACB Media, click the podcast option, which is right on the front page, and then scroll down to Sunday Edition or Visibilities or um, main menu, there's all of the ACB media shows are there. And for this show specifically, if you have a question or a follow-up for one of our guests or something that I or Bryn or Sheila brings to the show, you can always catch us at Sunday Edition, AC, all one word, Sunday Edition, the letters AC, at gmail.com. I'm also gonna take a personal point of privilege today Um, I don't really speak about my life outside of ACB very often, but I also am part of a very long-running soap opera podcast uh, called Take Two Radio Soaps. And we used to be on every other Thursday, but a couple months ago, we switched. We're on every other Monday. And the reason that I'm talking about this today is because last week was General Hospital's 60th anniversary. 
And we have had many, many people from um, General Hospital, from both the actor side of things and the writers and executive producer. We've had many um, on our show. And I'm going to throw this to Miss Sheila. Miss Sheila, what do you think was the most watched wedding in television history? All right, Bryn, you have a guess. I, I'm sorry. Uh, can you repeat that question again, Anthony? What do you think was the most watched wedding in television history? Oh my gosh. Um, hmm. I would say the the uh, Princess Diane and 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 Charles one, but that's a that's a factual wedding. Are you talking about like fictional weddings? Well, if you're talking about factual weddings, you would be right. It would be Princess Diana and Charles. If you were talking about fictional weddings, it is the long storied wedding of Luke and Luke. Laura. Oh my Luke gosh. and Laura and the first Monday of May we will be having one if not possibly both of them on take two radio soaps it is the biggest scoop we've ever had so for those of you who listen to the show um the first week the first Monday of May we will have one of those two iconic iconic actors if not both of them and I'll let you know towards the end of the month again to remind you folks to come and listen so our one, we are going to be talking about voting and constitution and um, if there are some procedural changes this year. Connie, 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 welcome back to Sunday edition. Thanks, Anthony. I'm glad to be here. And I did know it was Luke and Laura. I don't, I've never watched General Hospital, but I did know that answer. So, I, yeah. I am beyond thrilled. You know, we, we've had... Um, from General Hospital, we've had another character, Bob or Jean Spencer, who's been on for about 45 years. Um, and so, you know, to have either Luke or Laura, I'm, I'm not going to tell you which one yet, but to have one of them, if not both, on the show is a major, major, major scoop for us. So I am so excited. But um, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> right. We're talking about voting and bylaws and constitution and resolutions. We're yeah. talking about going into year three of of um, the three basically. So let's um, let's do a quick recap on you know how the how the voting for all of our members was implemented and bring us up to up to speed through last year's elections. Okay. Well, I want to um, first. Can I just go ahead and introduce who I have on my on the call with me, so sure. we can. So we have um, the chair for constitution or for the voting task force 3.0 is Jeff Pat Sheehan. His co-chair is Jeff Tom. And then we have Ray Campbell, who is the chair of the resolution 3.0. And then we have Maria Hansen, who is co-chair of the constitution and bylaws. So those are my worker bees or people that are mm -hmm. with me today, so. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to all of you, and we are going to speak to each and every one of you in the upcoming minutes, but give us that brief overview. How did we go from being able to only basically vote if we were in person at convention to every member, every, you know, every single member gets a single vote? Yeah, so, you know, this is the 3.0. So we, we went from, you know, basically the, the DC code and the, the pandemic um, kind of helped us. So we are actually able to do use the vote now system. So everyone has one vote. Um, so it doesn't matter. We do everything electronically if you're in person or virtual, which is a nice thing. And um, we still have the affiliated votes. 
that we can do, but we actually do everything as much as we can. Um, everything is actually online um, through Vote Now. So it's been a process. I know Pat and Jeff have worked on it for more than three years. They worked on it with um, several years way back, so they can actually tell you more of a story of that. But um, so yeah, so it's it's we do the resolutions um, beforehand, and then we do actually the voting, you know, in person also. But um, the actual we do the vo voice votes. I can't even talk today. Voice votes um, in you know over Zoom only with the um, and. Ray will talk about that um, the first week, the 19th, that week of the 19th of June. And then we will do the um, record votes during the convention. So it's it's been part of the process, but having the DC code in the pandemic has actually helped us um, get to the point that we are at because we had to do something to be able to vote a couple of years ago. So Christine sent in a question that um, the moment I read it, I was like, wow, I, I can't believe I didn't think of this myself. Uh, Christine wonders, do we have numbers? What was the percentage of our membership that actually voted in the last two elections? Do we have that those numbers? We don't. I'm going to have Jeff help answer this. We don't have the exact numbers. Do we, Jeff? I don't. So we, I know I we have. Yeah, I think the election before last, I heard it was like eight and a half or nine percent. I don't know what it was for the last election, but I think it was similar. Uh, so there has been a small but significant increase in the number of individual votes that that are being cast since the pandemic started. So the hybrid, well, first the remote and now the hybrid convention is having an impact, but it's not having anywhere near the impact that I think we would really like to see in terms of the increase in voter participation among individuals. And Jeff. Oh, God. Pat. Yeah. Hey, Anthony. And I was just going to add on to what Jeff said. Uh, this is one of the things that we really want to push this year. Over the last first year, we were trying to see whether it would work. And thank you, EPI uh, and Guide Dog users, for you know showing us the way using Vote Now software. Uh, that was great. And then we uh, grew into this over the two years and last and, and uh, last year we did it hybrid wise. So we're learning what works, what doesn't work, how we can improve the process, what it covers. We did learn, I think very well that we didn't like a three week convention. So now we're trying to shorten that and we have thoughts in which we wanna even shorten it even more, make it more efficient, more effective. I think the important thing though is bottom line is that we have anyone Everyone can vote. Everyone has a vote. When you're there the last day on the fifth and sixth doing resolutions, resolutions or constitution and bylaws, you're not down to 50 people making the decisions for the organization. So no. I think there's a lot of good things going on. And uh, I, I'll just give kudos and then hush up a little bit. Kudos to the voting task force, you know, which no. comprises a whole bunch of people 
that work really well together on constitution and bylaws, resolutions, the voting practice, standing rules, just everything outreach. You know, there's lots of components and it's all about the team working together to make sure that we have a good product. And then what we're learning is that we bring the product out to the shows, we bring it out to the presidents, we bring it out to the community, and then they come back with questions just like this one. And that helps us make it even better. So we know that we can improve and that's what we're here to do, here to talk and listen. Thanks, Anthony. Absolutely. So I, I have a follow-up question. I think um, the voting task force and, and the, the combined task force and you know, all, all of you guys together have done a great job as far as the education piece of it um, the last two years. So I don't think it's the education that's, you know, or or having the ability to educate yourself on how to, and the system is just not that hard. So has there been any conversation about maybe extending the voting time periods to get more participation, you know, general session for those, you know, who aren't there in person is during workday or, you know, during a school day, et cetera. So has there been any conversation about ex extending the time periods? So, it's been talked about a little bit, but realistically, it would be tough to do it in such a way as not to actually impact either the time that we have to spend doing convention voting uh, that would cut into the time we have for, you know, convention items, speakers, etc. Um, or lengthening the convention period, which is something that clearly the membership spoke out against last year, feeling it was definitely too long. Well, and I think also, too, that, uh, you know, I mean, think about it. To cast your individual vote takes you like 30 seconds uh, to go in, maybe a minute to go in, uh, click that link. I mean, if you do it on the phone, it might take you a little bit longer. Uh, so. You know, I think um, I, th I think the other logistical thing about extending the time is that you we do have to get get that ballot count and stuff like that. Um, you know, definitely, uh, I think we're all ears on something like that, and we want to, I think, do you know, do the best we can for the membership. And we have, and and what complicates a little bit too is that we have people across many different time zones and uh, trying to. Uh, accommodate all of that is uh, is interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would just add to what's already been said here is that because of the pandemic and looking at the DC code, actually for many years, ACB was actually illegally requiring that you had to be at convention to vote. That is not allowed under the DC code. So we really, it was interesting, um, and you kind of, kind of alluded to this, we talked about remote voting for years and years and years, and it finally took a worldwide pandemic to force us just to say, let's just do it and let's just use proven systems that are out there and uh, and make it happen. And um, it's there's definitely no going back. Mm -hmm. So another question that came in via email was, is there any discussion on how to roll this down for, you know, the state and special interest affiliates? Um, and for them to have the opportunity to be able to hold elections as well using the vote now system through ACD. 
We have not looked at it as far as the overall contract is concerned. This is the second year that that's come up, but it would be kind of interesting if you had, you know, I, I, we'd have to figure out how to pay for it. Uh, certainly the, 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 the software works well. Technically, we know it can be done. Uh, how you would figure out how to put that into a contract so that Vote Now would be able to get uh, the ability to have people to support those um, campaigns, you know, voting uh, voting elections going on at the affiliate level, that would be interesting. Uh, and so I think that's something, who knows, maybe that's voting task force 4.0 mm -hmm. or something well, like that. But technically it's, it's good, but how would, you know, you could certainly have options on a contract exercising those options, the affiliates would have to come up with the money to help pay for that option here yeah. and make sure the resources were there. So I think mm -hmm. it's a it's not a question of technology. It's a question of logistics and the money and a contract. Aside from the really? cost, though, there's another issue. And that is that in most affiliates, the elections are all handled now in a period of hours. And of course, they're handled yep. in a way that if someone doesn't want to run for one, or someone loses for one thing, they can run for another thing conceivably. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are a problem when it comes to the logistics for vote now. In ACB, at least, we can do our elections over a period of time, um, a greater period of time. But in affiliates, it's even more difficult to make all that happen. So that's another issue. And Maria yeah. H. here that um, a lot of the affiliates are probably doing their business meetings and voting concurrently with the ACB conference and convention. Um, at GDUI, uh, we hold our elections at a different time of the year. It used to be uh, the end of May. Now it's in October. So there's, uh, and we use vote now, we've used them since, I don't know, 2014. Um, and the system is wonderful, but I, I don't see, I think it would be really confusing um, during the timeline of convention to be holding this. And that might be um, a reason to encourage affiliates maybe to do uh, some of their business at a different time of year. And I, I know that would, to not go over well with some of the affiliates. We we actually moved ours to November, and and uh -huh. this will be our our third year, and and it's working yeah. well for us. Yeah. Bits Bits well, also they, is doing it in December now. And one thing I just want to say, Anthony, too, is one thing that has changed, um, and I was going to bring it up later, but I could do, bring it up now is, you know, so ACB, you know, we send out in the past, you know, we. Every, we always ask for the email for from every all members, yeah. And we so there are members who don't have email addresses. So we've always sent out um, email, the voter code um, in large print and braille to all members. So that is a cost from vote now. So what we are doing this year is actually a little bit different. Um, and it's in the process of being written up right now, but ACB is sending out basically a one-page letter in large print and um, probably be like a two-page letter in Braille, the same exact information that if you do not have 
So this is just the members who do not have email. If you do not, um, that they will not be sending out a voter code. So if you do not have an email and you want to vote, then we are putting the responsibility back onto our members to reach out to the Minneapolis office and the phone number will be listed to request your unique voter code. And the reason is, is that it's, we spent you know, probably $6,000 just for vote now to send out voter codes for all of our non-email members and only about four or five members of that group voted. So that's a huge cost. And that's another reason that, you know, you have to look at the voting and the cost for affiliates. If, if your affiliate isn't going to, you know, spend that money. So to justify it. Yeah. 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 And, you know, in a grassroots organization, a, a certain amount of onus has to be on us as members. You know, if, right. if we want to vote, we, we have to be able to at least make a phone call and be able to get our voting code. Um, if, you know, if we don't have email, we're going to have to use the phone to vote anyway. So if we can make the call to vote, we can make the call to get our voting code. Um, hopefully the membership does not bulk too much at that. And I know um, at least Sunday edition, I'm sure the other shows as well will remind folks, you know, throughout the month of June or May, whenever it is that they need to get their voter code, um, you know, we'll remind them for a couple of weeks on how to do that. Yeah. All and right. This letter's going to, this letter will be going out shortly. I mean, I was talking with Nancy just the other day. So they're working on it. We're, cause I'm working on my cheat sheets and we'll talk about that later. But we wanted to have the, kind of the same language. So I know it's that letter will be going out soon. So we definitely know, you know, there's going to be a few contests, including, you know, the top spots of um, our organization this year. How many, um, how many contests will there be this year? Well, if you're talking about actually contested races, of course, we never know. Um, every officer position will be up. So it's, you know, one, two, three, four, five uh, positions will be up. But we don't know which of those will be contested and which won't. And what will be, besides being uh, those members who need to request their specific voter code um, for not having email, what other changes are we looking at from this year, from last year to this year? Um, well, go ahead, Ray. Okay. <clears throat> well, so so on the resolution side of things, first of all, and it was kind of this way last year, but it's now coded into the bylaws. The resolutions deadline is actually coming up this week, April 20th, um, and that's 60 days before the opening session of the uh, convention, which is what all of you voted to do through the bylaws process last year. And so um, what that means is once the resolutions committee um, does their, you know, they'll start doing their work on the resolutions that have been submitted. Um, and I do want to just remind folks that, yes, that deadline is coming up this coming Thursday, and you can mm -hmm. send any resolutions that you have to advocacy at acb.org is a good place to send them. Now, if you have a, um, if you are an affiliate that's holding a convention later on, and you think that you might be wanting to <clears throat> submit a resolution or two to ACB for, for action coming from your affiliate, then 
just let the resolutions committee know that, 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 that something will be coming and uh, they can take care of it. So, sort of like a placeholder. Yeah, exactly. So once the, so the process of actually the committee work going through the resolutions and, um, <clears throat> you know, wordsmithing them, making recommendations on them, that part of it's really not going to change a whole lot from what we did last year. So I just would encourage individuals to, if you if you're interested in certain resolutions or certain topics, watch the email list, watch the community schedule for the resolutions meetings and make sure, try to make sure that you're there, um, uh, particularly if you've submitted a resolution, because what we're going to do this year is that we're going to tell you when that resolution is going to be discussed. And we want to really encourage you or you to be there and, you know, provide your input on it. And, and you'll get one chance. Uh, so if you can't do it, if you say, if we say, hey, we're going to discuss your resolution on May, May 8th or May 9th or whatever, and you say, well, I have another commitment, then you say, then you'll work out with the committee what another good night is going to be. And if you're not there that second time, then you're basically saying that you accept what the committee does with your resolution as far as how it's worded and that sort of thing. And it's not, uh, the committee would never, as long as they can understand it, never intentionally change the intent of a resolution. Um, but you're basically saying you accept the uh, uh, wordsmithing that's that's going to be done. Um, the other, the one change that is, if you vote it through, if the membership votes this through, so the one change that's going to happen this year is uh, Connie mentioned June 19th. Um, that evening at 7 Central Time, we're actually going to call the convention to order and we're going to read and if you know, hopefully adopt the standing rules for the convention. Uh, there are a couple changes proposed in the standing rules this year. So, uh, and, and all of this isn't totally flushed out yet how it exactly is going to work, but um, <clears throat> so uh, basically that, so we call the convention to order. We, let's assume we adopt the standing rules. So starting June 20th at seven in the evening central time through the 22nd, we're going to be discussing resolutions and we'll be having the red. We'll have debate on them and we will have uh, voice votes on them. Actually, it'll be all done over Zoom. So it'll be a raise of the hand um, on both sides on Zoom. So what we're proposing to do is so each when each resolution is read, and this so each resolution is read, um, there will be a five minute period after it's read, and that's exclusively for questions, clarifications. If you have if you need uh, clarification about something, you need uh, some information about exactly what the resolution is purporting purporting to do. That's your time to ask for those things. Um, we then will go into a 20-minute debate period. And we're going to try to line up the number of speakers for and number against. If uh, one side has more speakers than another, then the, 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 the presiding officer will have the opportunity, will have the ability to, um, you know, cut off debate and uh, move ahead. You're going to try to line 
the yeses and nos or exactly before mm-hmm. the debate actually starts exactly mm-hmm. gotcha and now yeah. what we what we don't have quite flushed out yet is how we're going to allow somebody to make a point of order um and that's a really important thing that we've got to figure out how to do um there have been but a number I of think, ideas but i think Go what ahead, we're going to do though is we're going to lower everybody's hands once we decide who wants to debate. And then while those speakers are debating, if somebody does have a point of order, they can then raise their hand to be recognized for the point of order during debate, during which time the when, when we're debating the point of order, if we have to do that, the debate period will be suspended and then we'll go back to debate again. Now, if the speakers are then uh, all have, if all the debate speakers are concluded, we will a lot, we'll probably have to call one more time for more debate speakers, assuming the period still has time. So, because remember, your hands are going to be lowered and you're not supposed to raise your hand unless you have a point of order. So, we want to make sure everybody gets recognized that really wants to debate. However, we we couldn't come up with a better way and i really appreciate matt selm for bringing this uh we couldn't come up with a better way to have points of order recognized than if everybody else's hands are lowered so that's probably what we're going to have to end up doing yeah and the other thing i would say too is that um so and the reason we're proposing this kind of a change is we had a couple situations last year where there were so many questions and clarifications, legitimately so, that we never got to actual debate on some subjects. And so we want to make sure we try to allow for that. The other thing that's going to happen this year, too, is um, so let's say we take a voice vote. And if there are less than 25 who vote in the on the negative on the opposing side, we're not even going to ask for a roll call because it's less than 25. Uh, a roll call to get a record vote on something it takes you have 25 people would need to raise their hand if we have more than 25 or more that vote on the opposing side then the presiding officer will ask if people are minded to go to a record vote and that record vote on the resolutions and as well as all of the constitution and bylaws amendments which have to be voted on by record vote that is going to take place on Wednesday afternoon, July fifth. You'll do your individual votes, uh, so you'll have a, a so that, so you'll have a ballot with several items on it, and you'll be uh, doing that. And then the morning of July sixth, we'll do the affiliate vote on all of those things, and um, the affiliates will have an opportunity to share how their affiliates are going to 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 vote and. You know, everything will be disposed of in that way. Similar to what we did last year um, on the final day of um, the, the Zoom sessions. So we there were a couple of email questions that um, were basically around the same topic. And I'm combining them and trying to find a nice way of putting it. <laughs> for some folks who believe that some of the questions during resolutions last year were off topic or frivolous or or not really warranted for that portion of convention. Um, Will there be uh, less tolerance for 
time wasting or you know things that aren't directly related to debate or point of order um this year did we basically did we learn a lesson from last year so i would say we definitely learned a lesson and that's why we're trying to have the five minute question period at the beginning um i would also say we're going to try to have like community calls and things like that ahead of time to the extent that's possible to explain resolutions we're going to try to get the resolutions out to everybody and record and things like that uh um our, our president is really taking who is also going to be the vice chair of resolutions this year is really working hard with uh the chair Gabe Griffith to um manage a way in which we can get people the content of resolutions ahead of time but on the other end of the spectrum this is a democracy folks and what one person feels is a stupid or frivolous question another person may feel quite the opposite and so I I really I can't quite go along with the idea that we need to be quote less tolerant because you know we we're we need to respect the issues that other people may have and once we start down the road of that sort of approach I think we really do harm to our basic democratic values I would say though however um to to all all everyone listening out there um really make an effort to try we're going to have the resolutions publicized as far ahead as possible of actually talking about them try to read them try to um, get on community calls and learn about them try to listen to them they'll be recorded again this year um, avail yourself of those opportunities um, to uh, to do that and make sure that you truly understand what it is that you're that you're voting on um, and and hey you know if you still have a, a question that's <clears throat> that's you know that that you need to you need to bring up that's fine now I do think I do think the presiding officer if somebody asks something that's like way away from the topic of the resolution that's being debated or it's up on the floor I do think the presiding officer should be able to say hey um I'm going to call you out of order because that does not pertain to this resolution but we will once we finish debate on this we will take your question we'll be glad to take your question and uh and uh and answer it uh so so I do think that needs to be that 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 would be possible. Hey Ray, so I will remember that next uh, this year when I ask a stupid question and somebody yells at me and tells me that it's a stupid question. I said Ray said you can't ask stupid questions. That'll be good. <laughs> um, and you know I I think resolutions looks like it's going to be working pretty well. It might be good to also highlight Maria Maria mm -hmm. H as I as we call it, she keeps us on uh, a good steady track with some uh, areas of interest, perhaps on the uh, Constitution bylaws arena. Yes, we're looking and these would, if they were to pass, um, they would take effect next year. They wouldn't influence um, what's going on this year. So we have a couple of things that we're considering the first has to do, you know, people were talking about uh, the roll call vote that currently uh, 25 members are uh, necessary to require a roll call vote. 
we'd like to see that number increase to 50 members, especially now with uh, participation um, via Zoom and th that everybody can participate. So uh, that, you know, perhaps should not be very controversial. The another item we're looking at, which probably sh it shouldn't be controversial, is to move up um, the date when the Constitution Bylaws Committee is established, that it be established soon after the close of convention, um, rather than closer to the beginning of the next convention, because there's a lot of work to do. And this would uh, sort of parallel what's uh, happened to the resolutions process. Um, the third thing we're looking at um, is a little more controversial. It wouldn't affect uh, what's going on this year with the election of officers. <clears throat> but for election of directors and for Board of Publication members, there, we're proposing a change. And that occurs every even-numbered years. So what we'd like to see if it's possible to have a single ballot for all the directors and a single ballot for all the board of publication members. Um, because their uh, qualifications, et, et cetera, um, are interchangeable, you know, no matter what director seat you end up yeah. inhabiting. Um, you know, so what we're proposing is ranked choice. So in the and this works would work easily with the individual vote now side of the ballot. But say so for directors, there'd normally be five positions available. And um, if you had seven candidates, they'd all be on one ballot. Uh, as an individual, you have the right to vote for up to five candidates, one vote for each open position. And then the five candidates with the highest number of votes would occupy, occupy those five seats. And similarly with Board of Publications, three positions, say you had five candidates, um, the three candidates with the highest number of votes um, would win those seats. And as an individual, you can only cast one vote per position. You can't say, okay, say I have, I can vote for five directors. You can't put all your votes on one director. They would have to be five individual votes, you know, for different directors. Um, that's pretty uh, straightforward. There might be a little wrinkle if there's um, a provisional uh, open position. Um, and what they would do with that is then uh, go down the list of results and um, somebody with fewer votes would get the provisional seats. Where it becomes complicated is with the affiliate vote. 
And we're trying to work this out where it's understandable. And we're hoping then to have um, mock delegate votes next year to get people comfortable with how this would work. Um, so if your affiliate had 10 votes, say for five board positions, um, they couldn't cast more than 10 votes for any one particular candidate, but the affiliate would have a total of 50 votes. So say you had seven candidates, <clears throat> you could cast, uh, and you have uh, you could 10 votes, up, 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 so you'd have 50 lost. votes total. So you could cast 10 votes, say for candidates A, B, and C, and maybe five votes for D, E, F, and you know whatever, up to a total of the number of votes that your affiliate is allotted. And again, you cannot accumulate votes. You can only cast up to, I mean, you can't cast all 50 votes for one candidate. Nope the most you could cast would be uh, 10 votes in, in that particular instance. So that's a little complicated. Um, and there have to be just the language and practice in getting that to work. And then there's one other item that we're kind of thinking about, and that's requiring a filing deadline. Um, we have filing deadlines in national elections, state elections. Uh, whatever. So the possibility here is that you would have to file your interest possibly in running by a certain date. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're running, but that document has to be in. And um, one of she the things from the floor. No, 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 not from the floor. This is unless there's some sort of emergency. But no, this if if you want to run for a position, you should um, do your uh, candidate pages. You should attend forums. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other things. You need to make yourself known to the memberships. It's a disservice to just at the last one, oh, hey, I'll run. Um, yeah. And in this process, you know, the however, this filing has to be in writing. This is, you know, it hasn't been fully worked out how we might propose this. And again, it would have to be approved by the membership, but it should be in writing uh, to designated uh, person by a certain deadline. That way they can have an idea ahead of time uh, what's going on. And if it's getting close and there aren't enough candidates too, then that nominating committee and other people should be out recruiting candidates who are um, giving some thought. You know, it's a serious process. Um, so that could be very controversial also. And so far, that's kind of what we're working on. Go ahead. Like resolutions, there's going to be some community calls for discussion yes. and debate um, on these, where I, I would imagine they would be mid-May, early June? Uh, probably. We haven't gotten that far in the... Oh, you mean for this year to... Well, yeah, yeah. All right. So, I, Connie, I'm definitely thinking um, another Sunday edition towards the end of May to kind of go over all this information again and, and point people... Towards where the recordings are, 
Um, I, I don't think I need to ask this, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have everything um, resolutions wise and, and um, constitution amendments, bylaw amendments, et cetera, um, translated into Spanish again this year, yes? Yes, so um, definitely we want to do another Sunday edition. We wanted to try to get the main shows, you know, today, the Sunday edition, the visibilities and Tuesday topics done before the, the deadline for resolution. So everything was kind of crammed in these last, this past week or so. Um, and now things will kind of slow down a little bit, but we'll still keep doing the community calls. We will have everything in Spanish. And I'm actually um, working with or planning on working with um, a member that reached out to me that we are hoping to actually do some community calls to, in Spanish. So on uh, just what we've nice. been talking about today, on um, what we're talking about today. So that's what we're talking about. Cause you know, we do have so many um, members that maybe Spanish is their primary, you know, so as you know, so that's what we're working on. Um, that was brought up to me um, by an individual and I like that idea. So um, once I get my cheat sheets and we get some definite dates, we are going to proceed and I'm going to work with that person and see what we can do to get that done also. Does Vote have a Spanish language option? Do we know that at this point? We do not know that that is, and I don't know if that is possible or not, we can ask. All right, so I think we can open it up to audience questions. Um, but Connie, is there anything that we have? Well, let's give them the deadline again. It's what, Wednesday? Wednesday, Thursday. the, the Thursday, Thursday, 20th. The 20th um, for the resolutions. Is there anything and, we have in common we need to know now? So we're working on, we have a tentative date right around May 12th for um, a deadline, but we need to verify that with Denise Colley for affiliate presidents to get all their nominating um, and delegates and alternate into Denise. Um, but we don't have a definite date, but we're looking at right around May 12th. Um, okay. That will go out, that, that we'll have to have all of that in. So, and the cheat sheets are in the process. We're just kind of finalizing final dates. You know, we'll have the voting, voting precinct again available. Um, so when we have more definite, just last minute answers or questions, you know, things that will all go out to everyone. All right, awesome. So let's Oops. take a few Oh, God. This is Jeff, Jeff, just to clarify the concept of the filing deadline for directors or BOP positions. The concept is that if you wanted to run in the nominating committee or on the floor, and you wouldn't have to run, but yeah. if you wanted to do either one, you would have to have your name. Uh, you'd have to notify the appropriate person. That's that's all that deadline would would do. Gotcha. All right, Sheila. How many hands do we have? None. Wow, we did a great job. Uh -huh. <laughs> I guess we said it all, huh? Or we thoroughly <laughs> confused them. Yeah, they, do? <laughs> they don't even know where to start. I know. Yeah. I, I've, I've been okay, I spoke too soon. Oh, <laughs> had a feeling. Let's not forget our clubhouse people. We put get um put your request in, and Herbie will let us know if you've got a question for these folks. Go ahead, Sheila. All right, Nora, go ahead. Yeah, hi. My question is, well, any about the those um 
if I decided not to register for the convention, can I still vote? Or oh, no. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You do not have to. No, ever since we, ever since we went virtual, Nora, um, you do not have to register to for the convention to um, vote. So ever since we went virtual, so what, two years ago that we've been yep. doing this now, three, two years, um, yeah. it is that all members, if you register or not, have the opportunity to vote. So, But you do have to have a voter code. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, know, you have to have, to have a, a secret code. voter code. That you have mm -hmm. to have. Yeah. Thank you. I used, to, I used to call the prior system that that was a poll tax, that you <laughs> had to fly to a convention, pay for your hotel room, stay till the end to vote. So. Right. No more poll Thank you. All right. Karen Campbell. This one will be for Ray. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Those questions. Yes. Karen, you're still muted. <laughs> Karen, you might have to hit the got it button. You might have to yeah, find the got it button. Karen, you are still muted. All right, Sheila, let's grab the next one and hopefully Karen can um, unmute. Leslie. Hey, guys. Great, great show. Hey, um, Hello. Hi. So my question is, I want to go back to, you know, you guys were speaking about the resolutions and the, the question of if somebody... You know, Jeff, you, you said so elegantly. Um, do you guys think you'll have extra hours? Like if you're still confused <laughs> solutions and you've come to the community calls and you've you've read everything, you've listened to the recordings, you've done everything you can. But there's just something there that I'm you know, you're just not understanding about a resolution. Could we reach out to one of you and you guys could maybe just kind of walk us through it a little bit more? Sure. I mean, that's what we're here. A reason we can't do that. I, I think that's. I think that. Yeah, I, uh, I know Gabe, Gabe Griffith last year um, was really available for folks. Um, so I, I can't see. I, I can't see that if you reached out and said, "Hey, I, you know, I have a couple of specific questions on said in you know said resolutions that they wouldn't." Well, you know, talk you through it. Great. Great question. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great now, job as usual. Thanks. No, I might not want to talk to Leslie, but everyone else is just this time. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, came up on Tuesday topics that I think was a good suggestion by Paul is he wanted to make sure that when the resolutions are presented on the floor, that the person who made the res who presented the resolution, authored it, was there to perhaps either read that resolution or be there to answer questions. And I think that that a couple of years ago, that was not the case and we kind of learned from that. So I think that's going to be something hopefully that we can make sure happens this year. I think it's it's worthwhile because, you know, the person can tell you what's on their mind, what was behind what they wrote and why. That's, yeah, even if there was, you know, like a two minute introduction, mm -hmm. Um, yep. to it from that person. I think that would greatly, yeah. um, that was a great suggestion. All right, did uh, Karen, were you, un, were you able to unmute? Karen? There she okay, is. now I'm on mute. Yeah, you are. Uh, got it, button will get you. Yes, it will. Um, couple, one question and a comment. Um, first, my comment. I like the idea of the filing deadline because it means you have to really give us some consideration and uh, 
Think about what you're doing. I mean, you are, this isn't a set, is essentially a job interview. You are asking us, the members, to hire you to sit on the board of directors. So yes, it's a serious thing, and I and I applaud that filing deadline. Um, Thank you. That's a great point. What's your question? Uh, my question is, uh, I just want some clarification on how points of order are going to be handled. Thank you, and I will go on mute and listen to the answer. Well, like I said, first, the rules haven't been adopted yet, so it's going to depend on whether that they are. But the thought is that once you determine who all wants to debate during the first debate, 20-minute debate period, their hands will be lowered, so there'll be no hands up at all. So that if somebody has a point of order or even a question, which we hope they won't ask during that period, but if they have a point of order, then they can raise their hand as opposed to more people that want to debate uh, until that debate period, until all the debaters have ceased. The only point, the only people whose hands should be raised would be people who have a point that they want to make that is not a debate that they're not trying to well they shouldn't be raising their hands if they want to debate they should just be raising their hands for a point of order otherwise uh and we heard from people like sheila and others it will just be too confusing to have to try to figure it all out and figure out who wants to make a point of order so that's the thought that was that we our task force the other the other thing too is that uh, we've talked about i don't know if we're gonna be able to fit this in, but I hope we can, is we've actually talked about doing a little bit of education, kind of a parliamentary procedure 101, if you yeah. will, so that folks understand, okay, what, what what does it mean when you say you have a point of order? What does it mean to have a point of information or clarification um, and that kind of thing? So we're we're talking about doing some uh, couple, maybe some community events around that so that people understand uh, what those things mean, and uh, and uh, we'll be better better educated. Even if you recorded that and put it on the loop of resolutions once they go up, um, that might be helpful. And people could change, you know, let's say, you know, the resolutions were oh, 24 hours on, on um, I think it was media nine last year, you know, but if they if they came in at the top of the hour, there would, you know, be a five minute, these are what points of clarification, points of order are. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah. Why? It's a yeah. real good idea. Yeah, I think so too. Sure. I think idea. we can do one more hand. Um, and remember, reminder, folks. Um, you know, Connie and friends will be back um late May or early June for any you know last minute pre-convention information and questions. But Sheila will take one more hand. Roberta. Um, thanks for the info. Um, I love the idea of having the one that was just that just popped into everyone's head of having a um, some training in parliamentary procedure, it's highly misunderstood. Um, I think my question is for Mar Marie, uh, Marie H yeah, regarding, okay. you mentioned ranked choice voting. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you are, I hope we are planning to do some instructional um, help 
for people to understand exactly what that is? Yes, and that would not take effect. It has nothing to do with officer voting. Uh, so every odd number year like this year, that it wouldn't apply. Um, and, and it, it also isn't really ranked choice voting. It's not like you have plurality. a first choice and a second. Yeah, plurality. Plurality. Yeah. Plurality voting. And, and certainly, if we were, if if the membership were to pass this, the we would definitely because we next year we'll be coming up on board elections. So yeah, we would definitely want to have a mock election to have people Absolutely. understand exactly what it is they're doing. So, yeah. And, and that would be not just for the director positions, but also for the board of publication members. Um, so right. you just mentioned something that I hope you also would explain, uh, which is plurality. Well, if you have a single ballot with the candidates to fill those positions, and say for directors, normally it would be five positions. If you had more candidates running than the number of positions, the candidates with the highest vote, votes equal to those number of positions would, be, would win those seats. Yeah. Um, so it's just that the qualifications for each seat are the same. So the the can the five candidates with the highest number of votes, if there were more than five candidates, those candidates would win the five seats. Of course, there's little wrinkles here that we don't want to talk about. Um, if one of those candidates uh, had an issue with the geographical requirements of mm -hmm. the Constitution, then they would be ineligible and the candidates with lesser votes than that particular candidate would move up one increment. Yeah. So to put it a thing, little differently, you might just say uh, another way of saying it is that you don't need to get 50%. In yes. fact, many times the candidates wouldn't have 50%. Exactly. The other, another way to, one other way to think about it, Roberta, is if you go, if you go into like your, some, and this happens like with county boards or school boards or this. If you vote in those elections, sometimes you'll hear it say, vote for not more than three. Yes. Uh, so it's kind of like that. Where So in our case, it would be vote for not more than five. Uh, so once you have picked uh, the five candidates uh, that you want to vote for, then the system would not allow you to, to uh, would not allow you to, to, to pick any more unless you unchecked let's say you voted for got it yeah one person yeah. you said no i really don't want that person you'd have to uncheck one and then right got yeah. it That's... okay so it isn't so ranked choice voting was a misstatement yeah some people have been saying that but it really is plurality yeah okay okay thanks for the clarification all right so maria tani patrick jeff and Ray, thank you so much for coming to Sunday edition today. Hopefully you can all join us late May, early June when we do this again. Any final thoughts from anyone? I just want to thank everyone. For, thank you for having us. And, you know, if yeah, anyone thanks, wants to reach out, make sure you reach out to me and, you know, 
we're definitely here to answer any questions and, and you know i'll get you to the right right people and, and we're and we're already planning we've already got a couple of other shows in the works with various groups too so yeah we do so yep. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. And what's the email address again for resolutions? Thursday. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. April Absolutely. 20th. Email advocacy at acb.org. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, then, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, All right. I am really looking forward to this second hour of conversation. We are going to talk about some changes that have happened with the staff, and we're going to get to new get to know one of our newest staff members. So, Tabitha, please step on up and welcome to Sunday Edition. Hello, delighted to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, you know, for full disclosure, I had the pleasure of meeting Tabitha in person at the leadership seminar in Alexandria. And she very generously agreed to come and share some time on this Sunday so that our members can get to know her a little bit. So let's go all the way back. Tell us where you're from and a little bit about your journey through, um, you know, your journey coming to ACB. Well, I think that would take longer than an hour. So I will, uh, I'll edit. Um, I don't have a hometown. Um, my dad spent 30 years in the Navy. Um, so my entire growing up period. Um, so I was uh, born in Spain and we moved every three or four years um, after that. <laughs> uh, so I've lived in multiple states, few different countries, and um, I couldn't really break the habit once I, um, once I was, you know, more or less independent of my parents. Um, I did my first two years of college at the University of Guam, and um, which is on Guam, and uh, finished at the University of Maryland College Park. I did an English major. Um, surprise. <laughs> Anybody who knows me, <laughs> surprise. Um, and uh, then I worked in New York City for four years doing uh writing marketing copy and publicity first at a nonfiction publisher and then for an opera company. Then I did a master's in theater at King's College London and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Then I lived in DC for about five years and did more marketing stuff uh, first for an architectural firm. And then I did editing um, at um, a, a higher ed lobby and um transitioned from lobbying about higher ed to joining higher ed and did a PhD in English literature at Northeastern University in Boston. Then when I graduated, I got a job at the um, at a university in Dubai. So I taught in Dubai for six years. And um, then I, I, I wrote a book, um, you know, did all the, the usual academic stuff, um, presented at conferences, wrote articles, um, taught classes, um, developed extracurricular programs um, to, uh, you know, to encourage students to keep learning even outside the classroom. Um, and I decided that when I finished my book, if I didn't have um, a job at a different university, because I was kind of just teaching the same two classes over and over and over again, which, you know, can get a little boring, to be honest. Um, uh, I decided that I would just kind of, you know, try something new and leave academia because my life was all about change. So why not? Um, but that happened 
uh, in 2020. So I gave notice in January of 2020 that I would complete the academic year and then, uh, you know, try non-academic, non-academic stuff again. And uh, nobody's 2020 went as planned. So <laughs> um, the last three years have been very strange and not at all what I had imagined or had in mind. Um, so I had to uh, stay with my parents for about a year. Um, then I did a master's in international relations at University College Dublin. And um, I was looking for a job at a, a think tank so I could research and write and just, you know, be all nerdy. Um, but then I, I got this job. So, <laughs> so I'm the uh, first full-time audio description project coordinator at ACB. Um, but I think probably most people know that um, I've been involved with um, the ACB community calls since October of 2020 uh, when I started a, an 18th century reading group. So I've been doing that now for two and a half years. And in February of 2021, I started a disability studies reading group um, which I, I love them both equally in different ways. And also worked with um, Cindy a little bit on doing some facilitator training because just can't really get rid of that that teacher bug. It's, it just stays with you. Um, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> so a lot of education. Um, <laughs> if you, you know, if you were handed a pot full of money and said, you know, you need to use this for more schooling, what would you go back for? I mean, it, it kind of seems like you've had your finger in, in a lot of different educational pies. What, what would you go back to learn? Um, I still love, I, I really love sociology. Um, I love the, to think about the way people kind of function. I think, you know, both literature and international relations, they, they seem on the face of things that they might be quite disparate things, but they're about how people function, how society works, what society thinks about, how people interact, um, you know, with each other across ideas and borders and stuff like that. So I would love to study sociology, but I also really love um, maritime history. Um, the uh, the summer after I finished my PhD, I spent, um, I just read like probably a dozen books on like, you know, Captain Cook and Captain Bly and the first fleet to Australia. And I just, um, I've always, I, I have a soft spot for maritime museums and I don't, cause my dad was in the Navy, I guess, you know, just uh, got the, the ocean salt in my blood as well. So, yeah. So what would be your top five recommended books? I don't, uh, you know, I mean, whatever you want to read that makes you happy <laughs> because I mean that that sounds like I'm squirming out of an answer but you know I have my favorite books but I really don't like to impose reading on other people um because I had this conversation a lot with my and it's an excellent question Anthony um but I had this conversation you know multiple times with students who would kind of apologetically tell me that they didn't like what we were reading and I was like I don't okay that's fine. Can you tell me why you don't like it? And because that's what I'm interested in. I'm not trying to turn everybody into my clone and make you think the way I think and like what I like. If you can read something and then tell me mm, it's not my cup of tea and here's why, then my job is done. But um, 
my probably favorite book is Persuasion by Jane Austen. I just think it's gorgeous. And it's the only book that I have ever come to the end of, heaved a great sigh, and then I was listening on Bard and then hit play and started from the beginning again. Um, and I also love Excellent Women by Barbara Pym, P-Y-M. She's, um, I think, uh, sadly um, overlooked British writer from the, the mid 20th century. Um, I mean, Agatha Christie is great, right? And Shakespeare, I mean, you just gotta love Shakespeare. He's awesome. I'm gonna think of like all these titles after the call and like email you and be like, oh, Anthony, and this one, and this one. <laughs> um, but, oh, and and Cold Comfort Farm, Dolan and I have bonded so over <laughs> that. Yes, how could I forget Stella Gibbons? <laughs> yes. And, and the oh, pot Graham, boiled oh, over. Oh. Yeah, um, and also like, um, uh, you know, Graham Greene is really good. Mm -hmm. The end of the affair is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, my, I was just telling my dad last night about the secret agent by Joseph Conrad, which is just this prescient um, yeah. book about terrorism in the early 20th century. Um, just, yeah. just excellent. I mean, so many books, so little time, right? Like I could fill hours just talking about books. <laughs> that should get you started. So let's pivot a little bit. Okay. What do you feel comfortable sharing with us about your vision? Oh, um, so uh, I um, thank you for that's a nice way of phrasing it. Um, I have retinitis pigmentosa, and um, so it's degenerative. Um, I've had, I think, sort of two significant um, uh, nosedives. <laughs> Um, I've always been, um, I've always had night blindness, but, uh, when I was younger, you know, I could read print books and I could drive, um, it's actually taught how to drive by one of my dad's, uh, fighter pilots on an abandoned airstrip on Guam. So, um, drive stick awesome. shift. I'm a, a little bit of a speed demon. Um, in 2008, just before I started my doctorate, um, I realized that I couldn't read print books anymore. Um, so that was a really, you know, bizarre feeling to feel functionally illiterate as I began working on a doctorate in literature. Um, so I had to, you know, try to adjust and you know, embrace the the ebook that was happening because I I could read that if I you know, reversed the contrast and made the words bigger, um, and you know, sort of had to figure out how to to advocate for myself, which I'm still figuring out. Um, and so I got along okay <laughs> for the most part. Um, but then in the last couple of years, um, I've, I've had another pretty steep decline. So when I, um, I had bought a cane just in case. And then when I got to Dublin in August of, of 21, and the first time I left the hotel to, uh, to go to the grocery store, um, I realized that I couldn't tell where the sidewalks stopped and the pavement began and I couldn't see the end of the street I was just like oh well this is a problem <laughs> so I um I made it to the grocery store and then I went back to the hotel and I googled and I called the National Council for the Blind of Ireland and I said hi can I get some O&M training please and they said sure um so um so I'm still kind of um you know adjusting I, I'm I have very little confidence in my cane skills um and I'm also rusty because I've been uh, staying with my parents in the suburbs the last, you know, since I've been back from Dublin while I was looking for a job. And now I'm trying to figure out where I want to live and try to find an apartment. So 
Um, so, and I, I, I need to learn how to use voiceover um, on, on my phone and my laptop um, while I, you know, before it becomes like an absolute dire necessity. Um, but it, it's, uh, as, as a lot of people know, it's kind of overwhelming. So trying to, to get there gradually. Well, you definitely found the right organization to help you gain <laughs> all of those skills. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. I am surrounded by just, you know, an amazing supportive group of people. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your experiences with audio description pre-coming to the American Council of the Blind. <laughs> No, because then everybody's going to think I should get fired. <laughs> no, Tabitha. Why is it we all three think we're going to get fired every week? We really have to talk about that. <laughs> you don't have to talk about anything you don't feel comfortable sharing with us. Thank you. Uh, no, all right. I have very, I have very little experience in, in audio description. Um, so um, I, I actually have said to to Clark, my wonderful boss, um, like, I'm not sure why you hired me. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> um, but uh, I think I've been hired for jobs before that I feel like um, I don't know anything about this. And I'm always told, you, you know, are you a fast learner? And like, well, yes. And like, okay. Um, you know, I was, I was, when I was hired by the architecture firm, they had wanted someone who could do graphic design and write, and I could not do graphic design, but I could write. And they said, you know, it's a lot easier for us to teach a writer how to run a graphic design program than it is for us to teach a designer how to write. So we hired you. Um, I'm like, okay, that's fair. Um, so I, I, I feel like, um, you know, People at ECB seem to trust that I, I can I can catch up on the audio description, but but actually it's it's one of the things that I find interesting because I did have limited knowledge of audio description before, and I knew that it existed for films and you know television and stuff like that. But when I was interviewing and doing research, um, so that I you know wouldn't sound like a complete ignoramus when I was doing the interview. Um, I discovered through the ADP website that audio description exists for theater and museums and national parks and just all sorts of things. So, um, so that actually got me pretty excited and like, okay, that's, there's a whole lot out there. And I, I kind of feel like if I, I feel like it's, you know, kind of nice that I am in a sense outside of it because I can maybe imagine what other people also don't know. And I can use my position to, as I'm educating myself, educate other people who might not know about the scope of audio description as well. So that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, I'm, I've been reading a lot about the interview process and, and how companies look at the resume versus the candidate themselves and how they formulate questions, all that kind of stuff. And um, a really interesting article that came across last week talked about how um, the job description should be a wish list rather than mm -hmm. bullet points of what you're looking for. Because mm -hmm. if you hire a candidate that matches everything on your quote unquote wish list, then they're overqualified. Um, but if you're, if you're looking for targeted specific points, you're going to miss the out of the box ideas that candidates can have. And the, I mean, I'm summarizing like mm -hmm. a five page article, but it was, yeah. It was brilliant. So, you know, a great move to bring someone in who's learning at the same time, you know, they're 
putting the education out there. And it sounds like you're in school for like ever. So who better than an educator who loves schooling itself? But let's transition for a moment. Let's bring Jolyn into the conversation. Jolyn, welcome back to Sunday Edition, first and foremost. Hi. Thank you, Anthony, so much. Good to so be here. You've had an interesting couple of years. Um, you've kind of, you know, and, and any of our ACB staff wears multiple hats, but um, you officially had to wear multiple hats for the last year and a half or so. Um, so when it came time that the discussion started that, you know, this was gonna, that this was gonna happen, that, you know, the full, there was gonna be a full-time position, where were you at in the process? And, you know, what are you passing along to Tabitha um, you know, in coming into this position? Um, that's a good question, Anthony. Thank you. Um, at the time we decided, uh, when, when it was actually decided to look, uh, to look for a candidate uh, for a full-time position, that was at a point where I was at a pain point and I was finally just squeaked. This, this isn't sustainable anymore. You know, you can't, I can't do grant writing half time and managing ADP um, the other half because both had the opportunities for both had grown so much, particularly for our audio description project. Um, so it was decided to uh, find the funding to create a full-time position and off we went uh, to, to create the job description and to, advertise uh, for candidates. Um, ADP had gotten to where we were managing the individual committees and managing the existing work. There was so many, there were so many opportunities and so much left to be explored and amplified that um, as, as many of you who visit the ADP website or are involved with any of the subcommittees or have gotten to know Tabitha, since she has come on board, the project has blossomed. So, so many log jams have been released. There's, there's forward motion on uh, various projects. And I think there's a renewed, renewed life in all of the committees in a sense of um, you know, renewed energy and enthusiasm. So I say bravo, Tabitha. Bravo. And oh. Bravo, well Jovan. I couldn't um, do it without you. What, to your question, what did I pass along? Um, Tabitha and I met several times. We, you know, we've discussed each committee. We, I tried to work with her and, and prepare as best I could, but I would say I also left some messes. <laughs> no. Some loose ends to die off. No. Um, but um, I think, I think the decision came at the right time. And I believe only positive things have happened since Tabitha came on board. But, you know, you're, you're in a unique position. Um, some of uh, our listeners who may not know, um, you've been in the community for basically your entire life. And, you know, you've been working as a volunteer behind the scenes before taking on the hat for a lot of the ADP stuff. So how bittersweet is it for you to take that hat off officially and hand it to Tabitha? Um, initially, I think as anyone feels when they're leaving 
a project or a job in which they've invested quite a bit of themselves. It, it is a bit bittersweet, but I'm thrilled at the progress and there will be other opportunities for me to practice audio description. That's something, frankly, for all of us that never goes away. There's, mm -hmm. there's a constant sharpening of the saw. And as yeah. we walk through the world, um, those of us who do see at whatever level, there's an opportunity to observe carefully and pass along experiences. Um, you know, we live the world with all of our senses and it's a matter of communicating fully. Um, so I'm bit, there's a little bit of bittersweet, but not really that much. I'm very excited for other opportunities. Um, I, and I, I'm, I've been left on all of the committee mailing lists, which is very courteous and I appreciate it so much. So I, I do get to see, you know, to experience it as, as you know, um, um, I don't have responsibilities, but I enjoy it. <laughs> so it's great. I have the best of both worlds. <laughs> We're going to have Joe Lynn um, back on the program in a few weeks with Bill Reader, but, and I structured this conversation in a specific way. Would you give us a, a broad overview of what a grant writer does for a nonprofit organization and what development actually means for an organization like ours? Oh gosh, Anthony, um, I really, I'm not sure I can answer that in 30 second sound bites. They're related. Um, and, and Bill and I, you know, and Colby can go into detail. Um, if I can just go back a little bit, I'm, I was, when we let go of the ADP hat and I moved over to development full-time, it wasn't just to become a full-time grant writer. Um, I'm now um, acting as the associate director for development and grant writing as part of that portfolio. But we now have a development team consisting you know, staff-wise of Bill Reeder, who is a contractor, but he's really the, the director of development, the strategic thinker. And then Colby and I are more the operational elements of this. So development, gosh, so I really, grant writing plays a part in development. It is not the fundamental part in fundraising for any organization, you may find that it constitutes about 19% of the fundraising um, where your real development, you know, the foundation is in your individual donors. And yeah. so we begin there, but um, if, you, if you are formulating a fundraising plan, the key elements are institutional readiness, human resources, markets, vehicles, you know, strategies, and then um, again, management where you, you um, evaluate. But we look into um, all areas of ACB and it requires a team effort. Um, so when Bill came on board, um, we have our fundraising staff, but we have to have strong support from our volunteer fundraising leadership. And then there's the strategic integration between fundraising goals and then ACB's program priorities. So 
Bill is consulting as our part-time interim director, and I'm, I'm going to have that dual role of grants writer um, and then associate director of development. So I'll be the, the, the principal grant writer. But then, and then Colby's assuming the function of um, the annual giving or individual giving program. But what we're looking at, I'm just trying to summarize this as broadly as I can. So under the governments for this integrated development plan, we look at the overall needs, both external and internal, and then um, essentially you plan to raise funds to meet the internal needs. And that plan needs to be reviewed and accepted and approved by the board. And then the board continues to support, including outreach to educate our members and to reach beyond the community to help fulfill that plan. And that's where our management, where our CEO, which was Eric and now Dan is interim, and then the other senior management, including Deb Cook-Lewis as president and the board, they go on to articulate those values that ACB has, and we communicate this to members. And that includes being a champion for the development program. And then the key part that our programs and services leaders play is to highlight ACB's accomplishments because it's not the budget needs that we have. It's, I mean, we create a budget every year, but it's not those budget figures that are going to attract the gifts and the grants and our corporate support. It's ACB's accomplishments. And our program chairs can act as expert witnesses. Um, they team up with board members, ACB volunteers, and other members to tell ACB's stories to our potential donor, donors. And that will include our individual donors, corporate and foundation support. Um, and then the fundraising staff, Bill, Colby, me, and others that we bring in um, to form some new committees we're responsible for care for organizing the plan and carrying out that development program. And so that, that can ensure the success of the fundraising efforts. So um, you have your annual fund, which is your, as I said, your fundamental building block for all of the fundraising efforts. There's a major gifts program. You can have a capital campaign if you need to focus on you know, building or you know, bricks and mortar elements and plan giving, and then corporate and foundation. So where the grants come in is that exists to align ACB as a nonprofit with foundations which are formed to give away money. And so the job of a grant writer is to make a match between our accomplishments fitting in with the goals and mission of a foundation. And when you make a case for support, which is to basically present ACB at its very best and then demonstrate our needs, whether it's for what we call general operating support, which is what keeps our lights on, pays the salaries. And that is, that is funding that comes with very few strings. So we make a case for support. Um, and then we present that to a foundation. And if it aligns with their missions, if it aligns with their giving priorities, 
um, that's when we're able to secure a grant. But before that, we start to build relationships with those foundations. And this is the same for corporate relationships. You try as best you can to align, start to cultivate, make contact with, with the grants officer and a foundation, have some conversations, uh, just as you would with individual donors or with corporations, and you build that relationship. But um, we, you can have large foundations. Some of them can be affiliated with corporations. There are, are small family foundations. And then there's, there, there is the government grant support, which is a whole different, completely different animal. So this is I, would, I would say we don't, we should not count on foundation support or corporate support to really carry the day. It's, it's our member support, donor support that is the prime building block for a development program. But the other two, including the foundations are very important. Um, before I transition to Colby, how important going forward is friends and family or allies gonna be in our individual giving and, and our structured, um, you know, out, outreach for funding? I think it's very important. And that is where Colby is learning very quickly from Bill. She is partnering with Bill to do some very strategic tutoring um, to build her own base for reaching out to donors. And friends and family do become an essential part of that. But I know Colby can speak to that very well. Well, then this is the perfect transition. But before Colby speaks to that, let's let's take a couple of steps back. And folks, you can go and search previous Sunday editions. We know a lot about Colby from her previous visits. But let's pick up from when you found out that this position was coming available. What was some? What was your initial thought process? And did you need to convince yourself much to? you know, take this risk to, you know, jump out of the nest and, and, and fly a little bit. <laughs> well, hello, Anthony. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. Um, yes, it did take some convincing. Um, I am very blessed to have, you know, the support, um, of course, from Cindy, who I had just the immense privilege of working under for the past, you know, almost two years. Um, and, uh, you know, just I, I talked with um, trusted friends and family and, and uh, when I was first approached, you know, kind of had the same reaction as Tabitha. Um, it was like, you want me to what? <laughs> you want me to do what? <laughs> um, but I, you know, um, I, I just, I said, well, I'm going to take this leap of faith and uh, step out of my comfort zone and uh, grow and have to remember as I start this new position, um, you know, that when I came in and I was, I was hired uh, for community to, to, and membership, um, that that was also a newly created position. And this position is also a newly created position. And I didn't know what I was doing right away. And um, you know, when I got hired for membership services. And so uh, I am, I'm a perfectionist by nature and I just, I want to do a good job and I want to, you know, do everything as well as I can. And I have to stop myself uh, from 
trying to eat the entire elephant at once, as Bill Reader says, and uh, he constantly has to remind me, you know, Colby, you can't master all of this in overnight. Um, and so I'm working with him and uh, getting myself educated and uh, learning a lot about the inaccessibility of a lot of resources <laughs> um, that uh, as I come up against. And um, Jolyn and I were joking at one point and we said, well, I think half of my job might become advocating. And it really has become true um, over these past you know, two months. Um, I will go and try to complete a task and I can't because it's not accessible and it's not because I'm not trying, um, which was a big fear of mine initially. Um, it's because, you know, accessibility is just not there. Um, but it did, it did take some convincing to answer your question. Um, and I, you know, I said, well, I, if, if everyone, you know, around me thinks I can do it, I'd be crazy not to try. And uh, so I'm trying <laughs> really hard. Colby, you're, you're succeeding, Colby. <laughs> um, and I uh, just I'm I'm so grateful to be surrounded by people who support me and support my professional growth and just believe in who I am you know personally and and professionally um that is that is something that I don't uh, take lightly and I just I'm so appreciative so let me ask you this, how many times in the last two months or so did you have that shock, shock moment? Oh my God, I didn't open a room or I, I didn't get the schedule out. Or, <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be doing something for this community. <laughs> it still happens. Um, you know, I'll get a text message and I just, I jump for my phone and then I'm like, oh wait, okay it's it's not you know it's not something that it's, it's okay you don't have to put out a fire right now um but i i i miss community i miss um i miss interacting with everybody in community kind of on a daily basis that's one of the things that i i miss and i will be back um in some capacity i am sure uh to start help educating uh, people on fundraising um, at some point, because I know that's one of our goals is to mm -hmm. um, educate everyone on fundraising, because it literally, as JoLynn said, you know, you, if you can't contribute yourself, financially speaking, you know people who probably can. Exactly. And reaching out to those friends or family or, you know, business relationships that you've built, um, personal relationships that you've built, all of those can be utilized as vehicles. And all you really have to do is tell your story and tell how, you know, ACB, one program, one service, or everything that's involved, you know, all of our programs and services that we provide, you know, how that's enhanced your life. Bring them in and just you know, help them to understand some of the challenges that we face as people who are blind on a daily basis and how ACB is helping to mitigate a lot of those. Yeah, and, you know, building a core of, you know, stories, archives exactly. of, yes. you know, of, of a team that can go out there and represent as is going to change the game for for the American Council of the Blind. Absolutely. You know, part of the reason that I want to have this conversation with the three of you this way 
is, you know, we, we tout that 70% number around of, of those of us who want, need employment and, you know, for various reasons are unable to find it as easily as maybe we could have if we were not blind or low vision. And you're all succeeding and, and you know, taking risks when you had stability under your feet and, you know, you found that golden ring, so to speak, that, you know, a good portion of us are looking for. Can you talk to us a little bit, and we'll go Tabitha, Jolyn, um, Colby. Can you talk to us a little bit about taking the risk or, or as Colby called it, the leap of faith and, and what you might have been most afraid of in taking the leap? Tabitha? Um, I don't... Um, <laughs> I mean, when I, when I decided to leave academia, um, you know, I, I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic, um, which I, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's difficult for me because I, I don't know to what extent my, you know, job search over the last few years has been just the market that I keep trying to break into fields that are incredibly competitive. And, you know, there are just more people who want to teach 18th century British literature than there are universities willing to hire them. Um, you know, I have plenty of sighted friends who couldn't get the jobs they wanted. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's kind of hard for me to, to identify to what degree my vision loss has been part of my struggle to to find work in in the fields that I've attempted <laughs> to find work in. Um, and you know, when I when I left my job as a professor, I was trusting what people had told me that you know that I had a lot of transferable skills. I also had experience before academia, um, you know, doing marketing writing and and then I had you know research and academic writing experience um so I, I thought that all of those would be attractive to a non-academic um setting and um apparently I was wrong but you know apparent there was also the the first few months of the pandemic so um so I I I really don't know. <laughs> I don't think I can help anybody because um, I'm not remotely where I thought that I would be. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm still learning a lot at, um, at ACB and, and, you know, I, I am using some of those transferable skills, you know, um, doing writing and, and editing, um, you know, which is kind of almost second nature for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I keep stuttering. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I... That's okay. Um, how about you, Jolyn? Well, I, that's a, a tough question because for me within ACB right now, it's a gulp and a leap because I'm assuming a lot more responsibility, but I realized that the, like Tabitha, those transferable skills actually go back another decade or two when I was working with and for Bill Reader at George Mason University in the College of Visual and Performing Arts. I had, I, mean, I have always had a really peripatetic type of employment history career. And um, 
all involved in performing arts. Um, but at the time I was, you know, working with Bill and as under him as um, I, I was the director of the summer music programs in the music department. Then uh, each of the departments in the arts became a college. Bill became the head of the college. I migrated from the music department over to the college and started doing fundraising for alumni, did alumni work, working with volunteers and fundraising there and began to write more. And the development director there said, you are really good at writing. And then I took that and uh, you know, used it ACB later. I had to stop out. Um, I, I quit my job at George Mason in order to start helping with some elder care from both my parents. And then like Tabitha, getting back into a position was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So I would search for jobs, couldn't quite get back in, and then had become involved with ACB through um, the Audio Description Project as a volunteer. And then Dan Spoon put me in touch with Tom Tobin, the director of development, who was looking for a part-time grant, you know, for a grant writer. So I migrated into employment with ACB at that point. And that was a big gulp. And then when Dan and Eric Bridges asked me to split, take, take over coordinating the audio description project part-time and then grant writing part-time, at the back of my mind was, oh, this is going to be too much. I can't handle this. And so we muddled through. But in the end, we had to create a full-time position for that. So I've kind of bounced around, but every time just taken a big breath and jumped in. And it's always worked out. We, we always, you kind of bloom where you're planted, you grow. And I feel like those relationships you create wherever you land almost always lead to something else. For example, I thought I'd never be working with Bill Reeder again. And Eric asked me at one point to, if I could come up with some folks as candidates for the advisory board, which was forming. And the first person I thought of was Bill Reeder because he had so many talents, both in fundraising, management, plus he's just an incredible human being. And so that was, actually, that was a huge leap for me, Anthony. I stewed on it, stewed, stewed about it for almost three months because I was afraid to reach out to Bill. I thought he won't remember me. Oh, you know, he'll think this is, he's not going to have time for this. I finally screwed up the courage after Eric had reminded me about three times to get this done. And I had an answer from Bill within half an hour. And the answer was, of course, I'm interested. Of course, I remember you. Of course, I really would like to find out more about this. And that started Bill Reader's involvement. And then look where we are now. So I think it's a great moment to, to stop and point out. Um, I use the word problem very, very loosely. But you know what a great problem for the organization to have that we're growing so rapidly that mm -hmm. we need to create these positions almost on the fly you know yeah. split positions throw people in you know in positions where they're wearing multiple hats while we figure out how to sustainably you know move into into procedure and and um processes to sustain it it's that's a great problem to have it is um yeah so 
let me let me transition to Colby because you know you you had a really really sweet spot. Um, you could have gone back to school, and and I do know you're going back into the learning environment for the position. Um, <laughs> but you know you were in that really sweet spot, and this came along. How about you? Did you did you really need to stew on it? And and what was the biggest part of that leap of faith for you? I did. I needed. I needed. I needed some convincing. Um, and I did. I took time, um, and I, 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 I had you know several conversations um, with trusted just friends and family, and uh, you know uh, people within ACB who were asking me to take on the position, and I, I needed to be convinced um, that this was something that, you know, I would be good at and that I could do. Um, I am coming into development having no, you know, I don't know, I, I don't have that background. Um, you know, I don't really have previous experience, but Bill Reader has said to me so many times, and he will probably have to keep saying this to me <laughs> to remind me, he says, Colby, you have skills that can't be taught. and. Mm -hmm. He said yeah. you know, that the other stuff, which is kind of what I'm grasping and getting my arms around now, as far as, you know, terminology, nomenclature, um, and just learning techniques and the field and the theory behind the practices that will all, you know, come and all fall into place. And it's not all going to happen overnight. Um, oh. Yeah, I think for me, um, I, I remember... Cindy asking me when I was first hired, uh, you know, in, in that Facebook live that we did where I was put on the spot and I had to yodel. Um, but she, <laughs> said, <laughs> she said, what is, you know, what's your biggest fear? And I think it still holds true. I just want to do a good job. I just want to do well. Um, you know, I, I'm a perfectionist by nature, as I've already said. And so I, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm studying materials. I'm literally, I'm reading books and I'm writing notes, uh, like pages and pages and pages of notes. Um, and then, you know, Bill and I go over uh, several times a week, we meet and we go over the material that was covered and, you know, relate it back to ACB and tie it back to ACB. And then I'm also participating in, I oversee a lot of the committees um, for, you know, the auction and MMS and all of our different initiatives that make up the annual fund and make up, you know, individual giving. Um, so there's a lot uh, that goes into it. And I'm just happy to be, uh, you know, I'm ready to dive in and have dove in um, and, and I'm uh, ready to learn and ready to grow. And doesn't mean I still don't get nervous. <laughs> I have my moments of, you know, oh my goodness, <laughs> I really do this. Um, You're but, getting, but Colby, we meet, we meet every Friday and you, you know, we go, we talk about this a little bit, but I think you're starting to see just how, how you are getting a grasp on, a yeah. grasp on it. Yeah. I, I definitely am, you know, I know more than I did when I started two months ago and I have to just, you know, remember that it's going to be a learning process and that's okay. <laughs> So we're going to open it up to um, audience questions in a few minutes, but I'm going to ask you each a two-part question. Um, what do you want our members to know about you personally? Um, what are some interesting stuff that you want that you feel comfortable sharing? And the second part 
is what have you learned from these other two ladies that you apply now in your business and personal interactions? And I'm going to mix it up and start with Jillian this time. Oh, gosh. Um, first of all, what have I learned? Um, I, I give thanks. I am so fortunate to have met Colby. Well, I've met Colby, but to begin working with Colby, um, to appreciate her gifts and enthusiasm and to give as much of my own knowledge and help her grow, but also to learn from her because being new to the field, she brings in a really fresh perspective. And I appreciate her dedication and her um, sense of perfectionism in the sense of doing the very best job she can. She's just a tremendous resource with which with natural gifts. I know she's going to succeed. With Tabitha, I am grateful for her overall expertise, her ability to tackle really everything with aplomb and to already make uh, you know form relationships within um, the audio description project. She was able to really assess the entire workings of it and uh, you know just instinctively know what needed to be done. And it's in good hands. Um, she's probably way overqualified for the job. But I also appreciate the opportunity to get to know Tabitha as a person and begin to, I hope, be, be lifelong friends. She's just an exceptional woman with a huge amount of courage. And I've learned so much from her already. And she inspires me. That's awesome. So for those two, and the other question, Anthony, was what? A couple of fun facts about you that you feel comfortable sharing. Oh, I'm probably, um, I'm, cu I'm curious to a fault. I just, I'm just interested in everything and anything that comes my way, which sometimes makes it difficult to focus because I'm always off researching something new or veering off into a tangent. I think Tabitha and I share that a little bit. <laughs> yes. When you asked us about our books, it's sort of whatever we are reading uh, as a result of what's happened to us one day and we become interested in, we have to go off and find out about it. Um, I love, I love researching. I would have been happily before the age of you know, technology being um, the resource librarian at, you know, at the library in New York city, um, you know, just at, and what else? I, I come from a background of musicians. i always been interested in music and dance in a large part of my education and early on ventures in revolved around ballet dance notation singing um I did it I've heard time. tell you have a beautiful singing voice well, me it's, too it's no longer that you know but I, and I think we all share that love of music but performing arts for me um arts in general, I don't know what I would do without art and nature as a vital part of my life. And that's enough about me. All right, Colby, how about you, hon? All right. Um, well, I, I'm kind of piggyback kind of off of what um, JoLynn said. I, I'm just so grateful to be uh, surrounded and, and have friendships with these two women who are just absolutely amazing. I, Tabitha and I bonded uh, exponentially at <laughs> the DC <laughs> Leadership Conference. Um, I was so grateful uh, that she was there, particularly that, that first day when, you know, you get to the hotel and you have no idea 
anything is. Um, her and Swatha were very kind and like took me under their wing and showed me, you know, kind of gave me some basis for landmarks. And uh, that was extremely helpful. Um, but then just, you know, getting to know uh, Tabitha that night, we uh, <laughs> we had an adventure. Um, oh, we couldn't restaurant. find food. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't find food um, in the restaurant. And so we ended up just grabbing a sandwich and then just going off and finding a spot. And we just talked and got to know each other. And I am just so grateful uh, for that. Um, but just, you know, I love hearing people's perspectives. I love learning from people. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I think everyone has something of value to contribute, um, you know, be it an idea or just in telling your story, there's always something to be gleaned from that and, um, you know, to, to be learned and, you know, the tidbits of wisdom or pearls of wisdom that, you know, you can take and then apply to your own life, um, personally, um, I was trying, I'm trying to think of how to answer your the second part of your question. Um, we love NASCAR, and we know you have a respectable <laughs> singing voice. <laughs> I love I love that pun there. That was good. Um, oh my goodness! I I mean I mean music obviously you know just I I resonated so much with what Jolyn said. It is it is. It is almost like air for me. It is. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, yes. I would. I would literally say that it is. You know, almost that essential. Um, I always, you know, always have it on. Um, it it helps me through. You know, the mountains in life and the valleys in life, and um, it's just so applicable. Um, and and I, you know, I love obviously love to sing. I actually sang at church this morning. Um, and you know, I was doing some stuff there. So. Um, but I don't know, little, oh, I guess little known facts. Um, you know, I had somebody in the community ask me one time, you know, Colby, you're always so happy and bubbly. Do you ever get down or do you ever, you know, get sad or have, you know, your moments? And yes, I do. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, I, it's, I'm very quiet about them, um, you know, when they do happen. Um, but, you know, like right now, I don't have a guide dog and that is tough for me. I've, I've had dogs, um, you know, before and I'm waiting for that next match. And I, you know, when I got to for day one of the DC leadership conference, it, it was a struggle. Not many people, you know, saw it. Um, I guess I hide it well, um, but it was, it was a struggle. Um, and I so appreciate you know, just having people like Jolyn and Tabitha that I can go to and say, I'm having a moment or I'm panicking about this or, you know, can you, can, can we, can you help? Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, I, I don't know that I really answered your question, <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> you definitely have, and I'm going to throw a bonus one to you before I go to Tabitha. Now that you are two months away from the community, what do you miss most about working with Cindy and being part of that community structure on a daily basis? I miss interacting with everybody on a daily basis. That's that's probably the biggest thing. I miss the people. Um, I, I do. I really, you know, and I, I still talk to, to several um, community members. And I do want to say that, you know, 
if anyone has any ideas about, you know, fundraising from like an individual giving perspective or anything like that, please feel free to reach out. Um, because like I said earlier, your ideas are valuable and there's always something to be gained from, you know, someone sharing their perspective or sharing their ideas. But I miss the people. Um, I miss, you know, popping in, opening a room and getting to say hi to, I don't know, Leslie Spoon or, you know, whomever. <laughs> Um, <laughs> a, a 10 minute pre-call catch-up session yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. The, the little like you know five minutes that I can and then I'm like okay I gotta go but I, it was great to talk to you you know very briefly um, and I just I miss the interaction I think but I know you know there will be much more of that for me in a different capacity now in this position all right Tabitha you're up um, yeah, well, I mean, kind of everything that that Jolyn and Colby both said, um, and it's it's kind of funny because just listening to them talk, we have a lot in common. Yet I also feel that we're so different, and I am grateful for the similarities, and I admire the differences. Um, I feel like Jolyn just exudes calm, like she does. <laughs> You know, yes. nothing is ever going to go wrong when you're talking to Jolyn. And I feel, you know, if she told me everything is going to be fine, I'd be like, okay, okay. Yeah. Jolyn said that it's going to be fine. So it's going to be fine. And then Colby has this irrepressible effervescence. <laughs> and, you know, I'll never forget we have these, we have weekly. Uh, Monday morning staff meetings at ACB and you know Colby always comes on laughing when it's her turn to to check in and you know so I I was unmuted once and you know I started laughing too and she you know, she heard me and she's like Tabitha you're laughing at me and I said no I'm not <laughs> laughing at you I'm laughing because of you yeah <laughs> and she just, you know, spreads like, you know, Jolyn spreads the the calm and Colby <laughs> spreads the joy. And it's just oh. everything. They're going to just, you know, be an unstoppable team. I um, know. It's so much fun. Yeah. And um, and I, I did enjoy, you know, uh, Jolyn and I have had some really lovely long distance conversations about, you know, the the fantastic you know, groundwork that she's laid for me, um, no. you know, talking about hats, there's also big shoes to fill as well. Um, you know, that the ADP is in, a, you know, a, it's not like it wasn't a shambles, it wasn't a mess, it was in a good place. And, you know, Jolyn and and all of the committees and volunteers and everybody, you know, like I'm, I was picking up very much in medias rex it wasn't like you know well they're oh my ready gosh. to go i um, think that they yeah. were really ready to just yeah. rev it up and take off yeah yeah and because you, you got them you got them warmed up and then um and then yeah i mean getting getting to spend some time with colby in person and and you know kind of seeing that more serious side i mean i like i was blown when she told me that she was insecure about being there and i was like really <laughs> Um, and it's funny how you just said that Swatha and I took us, took you under our wing because I was thinking that you, you and Swatha took me under your wing. So. <laughs> I think there's a really shared value in, you know, that vulnerability um, and, and just, you know, knowing that, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'm not the only one who's confused. Yeah. I'm not the only one who's, you know, afraid I'm going to get lost. Yeah. 
And I think too, for me being so, I think there's kind of a, I have this perception that people who, you know, have, have been dealing with, you know, whatever, you know, blindness or low vision for longer than I am, that they're just going to be really good at it. And, you know, I'm just like this colossal klutz and inept and I don't know what I'm doing and everyone else is great, you know, and they're just gliding around effortlessly. And I'm just like, I'm like the poster child for bad low vision person, you know, kicking people and banging my cane into things and just it's awful. So to know people who have been dealing with it for a while and, you know, you still having those kind of moments of vulnerability and just like, yeah, it, it's it's just like anybody. Things don't go perfectly all of the time. You know? yeah. it's like, and it's okay. And I shouldn't judge myself harsher when I have a tough day just because, you know, it's, yeah. it's like vision related. Um, conventions are definitely the great equalizer when it comes to that, because yeah. You know, you, you, you discover somebody who has the most amazing mobility skills, but tech-wise, just that's not their thing. They're not that into it. And it's like, you have the most amazing mobility skills, but you're asking me, you know, how do you dictate a text message? But then you realize, oh, okay, you know what? The other day when I was beating myself up because I missed the turnoff that I take every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we know that you have a love of reading and these two ladies have love of music. Where do you fall with music? Um, I, I love it as well. I've never um, been half as, as good at it as either of those um, wonderful women. But, you know, I did sing in choirs um, throughout, you know, elementary and, and junior high. And, um, you know, I'm very much a, a singing in the shower um, coloratura um and uh, song. um well I you know in, in my next life I'm going to come back as a torch singer so it's always oh. just you know um yes. they're 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 singing they're singing songs of love but not for me and you know yeah. all, those, all, yeah. those, all the great Tin Pan Alley and the 40s you know 30s and 40s musicals all those those torch songs are those are mine. All right. So we are at the top of the hour. We'll take a couple <laughs> of hints, but we're going to go off air. I will be back next Sunday with a great show. Um, Tristan Snyder from Imagination Books has got a great surprise for us and some other great stuff. So join us next Sunday. Thank you, Brynn and Sheila, Herbie and Belinda. And we'll take those few hands in a moment. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.